You're listening to the sermon series on the letter to the Philippians at Sojourn Church, Carlisle. In this letter, the Apostle Paul calls believers to live on the earth now as citizens of heaven. This means that Christians should find their identity not in this world, but in the world to come, centered on Jesus Christ. Peace be with you. We're so glad that you guys are here today. Um, my name is Nick. I, I serve as the associate pastor here. Um, today we're actually going to be wrapping up our Philippians series. So we, we've been journeying throughout the summer uh, through the book of Philippians. So if you are able, I want to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's Word. And we're going to be looking at Philippians 4, verses 10 through 23. Philippians 4, 10 through 23. Hear the Word of the Lord. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, because once again you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. I don't say this out of need, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. I know both how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content. Whether well-fed or hungry, whether in abundance or in need, I am able to do all things through him who strengthens me. Still, you did well by partnering with me in my hardship. And you Philippians know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my need several times. Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. But I have received everything in full, and I have in abundance. I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father, be glory forever and ever. Amen. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we we come to you in great need of your grace and your mercy. God, as we gather together as your people, To hear from your word, we ask that your spirit would soften our hearts, soften our minds, and incline us to respond. We speak to us this morning through your word, Lord God. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. So I just realized that this is the first time that I've preached in front of people in like eight months. Uh, Both the last time I was supposed to preach, uh, it rained, so we didn't get to meet outside. So if I'm a little bit awkward at first, you know, this is just kind of like when you see someone and you haven't seen them in a while and you don't know, like, are you guys hugging or are we wearing masks around each other? So it might be a little awkward, but we'll get through it together, right? Yeah? Already. Good job. We're living into it. This is, this is awkward, right? I'm just kidding. All right, so hey, what we're going to do today, we're actually going to go through the text first. We'll walk through the text, hitting a couple highlights, and then at the end, we're actually going to apply it. Um, so 
If you do have your Bibles, at least in the beginning, I invite you to have it open. We'll walk through the text nice and quickly, um, pointing out a few things, but I'd love for you to follow along with me. And then, like I said, we'll apply it. So let's start in verse 10. Paul starts out, he says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly because once again, you renewed your care for me. You were in fact concerned about me, but lacked the opportunity to show it. So Paul is writing a thank you note of sorts. Now, when you actually read it and pay attention, it's like, it's a little bit weird because he's like kind of thanking them, but kind of not. It feels like for our Western ears. But the Philippians would have received this in great honor and would have felt loved and cared for by this letter in the way that he actually is thanking them. But nonetheless, Paul says to them, he says, it wasn't that you never stopped caring about me, but you actually didn't have the chance to show me that you cared. So just like maybe getting a, a nice, uh, an unexpected gift or, or a card from a, a friend that you haven't seen in a while, Paul says, I, I thank you for reminding me that you care about me. Now, I love what he says, though. He says, it's not that you stopped caring, but you didn't have the opportunity to show me that you cared. Now, notice here, Paul tells the Philippians that he, he thanks God for their generosity. It's not that he's trying to over-spiritualize the, things, but um, remember that he has talked all throughout the letter about how God has been at work in and through the Philippians' life. So Paul is simply thanking God for the work that he's doing in the Philippians, the work that is, is flowing, overflowing with generosity because of what God is doing in them. Now, Paul, he, he's careful with his words here, okay? He, he says twice what he is not trying to do which kind of gives us a glimpse into how nuanced Paul is trying to be when he's talking to his friends in the Philippian church. If you look at verse 11, he says, I don't say this out of need, okay? He says, I'm not trying to wrestle up more money from you guys. That's not why I'm writing this letter. He says, I'm not, I don't say this out of need because I have actually learned to be content in whatever circumstances I find myself. So contentment, just so we can kind of have a uh, a same basis for what we're operating from. Pastor James did a great job last week talking about this idea of contentment. And I think the simplest way to define it is, is having peace regardless of your circumstances. So Paul says, hey, I'm content in, in every situation I'm in, regardless of my circumstances. But he elaborates a little, a little more for us. In verse 12, he says, I know how to make do with little, and I know how to make do with a lot. In any and all circumstances, I've learned the secret of being content. Whether my, my belly's full or whether I'm starving, whether in abundance or in need, he says, I am content. Now, his contentment, we need to see carefully here that his contentment is specifically regarding financial circumstances, right? In the immediate context, that's what he's talking about. He says, whether I'm making minimum wage or six figures, whether I am eating cup of noodles or steak, I'm good. I'm taken care of. And he tells us why. He, he, says, he says his not-so-secret secret is contentment in Christ. Now, you've probably seen this more on athletic t-shirts than in your Bible, but Philippians 4.13 says, I am able to do all things, or maybe a better translation, I am better to do all these things above through him who strengthens me. So Paul says, whether he's got a lot or a little, I'm good. And he's good because he's finding his satisfaction in Christ, whose riches never wane, who can't be any more rich than he already is. Paul says, I'm good. 
And he goes on, he, he, he starts to unpack the Philippians' generosity a little bit more. He writes this in verse 15. He says, you Philippians, you know that in the early days of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except for you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. So the Philippian church here, they supported Paul in, in similar ways to, to how we may support a missionary, a missionary in, in today's day, right? They, the missionary needed support to go and do a work in a place where they didn't want to obligate the people that they were going to take the message to financially. So Paul, Paul talks to the Philippian church. They, they generously provide for him so he can take the gospel unhindered to other places, the Philippian church, you, you guys see that this, this plays out in this theme of humility, okay? The Philippian church could have like said, hey, hey, we need a, we need a puppet minister or something, or hey, we, we need to update the kid's wing. But rather they said, no, 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 Paul, we want you to take this money and take it to the nations. Go start more works with our resources. Paul, again, looking at verse 17, he tells us what he's not after. Okay, verse 17, it says, not that I seek the gift. He's like, guys, it, it's not about the actual money here. I'm not, I'm not trying to flatter you so you'll give more, okay? I'm not gonna put a plaque on this Philippian jail wall that says you gave X number of dollars. He says, it's not about the money. No, Paul actually says, I'm not, I'm not doing this for me. Look at the end of verse 17. He says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. I'm actually doing this for you. Hey, stay here. Here we go. Here we go. I know that car is making weird noises, but stay with me now, okay? Come on now. He says, I'm not doing this for me. I'm doing, I'm doing this for you. This is to credit your account and profit your account. So Paul goes on. He, he concludes a section of thankfulness for the Philippians' financial generosity, and then he ends the letter with just a simple salutation, but one that shouldn't be overlooked. He says, greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brothers who are with me send you greetings. All the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. We'll talk more about that later. Then verse 23, he ends, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So there, there's a lot we could talk about in these verses. There's a lot we could unpack. I think one of the things we, we could look at more in depth is this idea of contentment. But I, I think over the last several months, Pastor James has done a great job constantly hitting this, this idea of contentment that regardless of your circumstances, God's character remained the same. Or put differently, we should not allow our circumstances to define our view in, of God's character. So that's one thing that we see clearly, okay? Philippians uh, 10 through 13, loaded with stuff on, on contentment. And I think that's important. But what we want to look at today, we're going to focus a little bit more on verses 14 through 23. And what we're going to do is we're actually going to look at, look at it through the lens of the Philippians and look at their generosity and how their generosity is a model for us as Christians today. Now, there's the classic uh, 90s church alliteration, right? Give of your time, talents, and treasure, which... That's cool, but today I'm going to specifically talk about money, okay? We're going there. I think sometimes maybe we're a little scared to have the conversation, so we soften it with fancy other T's, right? But you should give of your talents, your gifts, and stewardship. You should give of your time, so I'm not denigrating those things, but I want us to have a frank conversation about what God calls us to with regards to our money and our finances. 
Money is, is so taboo in our culture, maybe even more so than sex and power. But um, you know what's funny is it's not that way everywhere, right? I was talking to one of my Chinese friends the other day, and he said, in Chinese culture, when you introduce yourself, so in America, we say, hey, I'm, I'm Nick, and then someone asks, what do you do, right? In Chinese culture, they ask you your name, and then they ask you how much money you make. Now, I'm not saying that that's right or that's what we should do, right? Because there's, there's uh, status tied to it, just like job titles or, or status for us. However, what that shows us is that when we're scared to talk about money, it, it actually says more about us than it does about money itself, right? Y'all tracking with me? I think it's interesting, and I could probably do a whole sermon on this, but I don't understand why we are so scared to talk about money. I don't, I don't, like, why are we scared to talk about it? It's just, it's a tool. It's a thing. We have, there's so much shame involved in it, right? Like, honestly, when was the last time you asked, a, like, a brother or sister in Christ to hold you accountable on your budget? Not me. I haven't done it. When, when was the last time you allowed somebody in your community group to, like, speak into how you are financially stewarding your money? Look, just, just because conversations are uncomfortable doesn't mean we shouldn't be having them. But at the outset, okay, I want everyone just to take a deep breath. Okay, hear this, right? God is gracious to you, even with regards to your money, all right? <laughs> God's grace doesn't touch all other areas of your life, and then we all have to have this deep, like, guilt and shame stewed up within us. It's more because we're trying to hide things, and we don't allow God's grace to penetrate this area of our life, right? Okay, God is gracious to us in your money, okay? So if you, at the outset, you're already tense at me, like you think I'm some Twitter troll, okay? Put your dukes down. We're just gonna talk and hear what God's word says about money, right? Let's go there. There's three things that, that we see in this text, okay? First, giving is a declaration of faith, okay? Giving is a declaration of faith. In verse 18, Paul, Paul does a really interesting thing here. He writes, I am fully supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you provided, a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, pleasing to God. So, so Paul is pulling Old Testament language here. He's pulling it in. And um, before Christ, okay, what happened was the Israelites had to make sacrifices to clean them up in a sense, before they could worship God. And it included burnt offerings, like literally taking an animal and grilling it, okay? It included burnt offerings. These burnt offerings, when made, would produce an aroma that ascended to the sky, filled the surrounding areas, okay? Think of the nice campfire smell that maybe you smell in the summer or uh, or in the, in the fall, or in the summer, like getting the grill fired up, right? There's this pleasing aroma that comes about. The same thing happened with these Old Testament sacrifices and this sacrificial system. This aroma was pleasing to God. So, so Paul is bringing in that imagery of the old sacrificial system, and, and he's saying, just as the Old Testament sacrifices produced this nice-smelling aroma to God, now, when you give, it puts off that same aroma, that same please, pleasing aroma. It is a pleasing thing. It is an act of worship. 
to God. And this giving as an act of worship, it's a declaration of faith. It says, God, I trust your promises for provision. Paul, Paul tells the Philippians, because you gave and gave generously, verse 19 says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. When you, when you give and you give generously, it's a public declaration, declaration that you believe this verse to be true. So, so let me ask, do, do you believe that, really? Like when it gets down to it, if you really ask yourself the hard question, do you believe that? Is what Paul says about God and his ability to provide for all of your needs, is that true? Will, will God provide for all your needs when you counterintuitively give away the thing that can pay for your needs? Do you believe Luke 12, 24, when Jesus says, consider the ravens, they, they, neither, uh, they neither sow nor reap, they neither have storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you humans than the birds? Do you believe Psalm 145, when the psalmist says, the eyes of all who look to you, God, they all look to you and you give them their food in due season. You open your hand and you satisfy the desire of every living thing. When we give to God and, and others generously and not begrudgingly, it is a declarative act to God and to others that we believe these things to be true. It's one that says, I believe that God can and has the means to provide for me. He's not going to write checks that he can't cash. God ain't got no credit card debt, y'all. Straight cash. <laughs> so giving, it's a, de a declaration of faith. Secondly, giving is actually for your flourishing. Do you hear that? Giving is for you. That's what Paul said. It leads to a deep soul change that makes us more Christ-like in character. Look at verse 17 again. Paul says, not that I seek the gift, but I seek the profit that is increasing to your account. So giving leads to your flourishing. And I think one of the reasons that that happens is because giving actually helps us fight the sin of greed. Okay, let, let's think about this in, in terms of, of spiritual disciplines for a second. So, I mean, we don't talk about these a lot in our stream, but Fasting and Sabbath, okay? These are spiritual disciplines, practices that one can, I wouldn't go so far as necessarily say required, but one can practice. If you think about these spiritual disciplines, what they do is they help us evaluate, they help us take a step back and evaluate how we are engaging in certain earthly things, right? So fasting helps us to declaratively say, okay, I don't live by bread alone, but I live on every word of God that proceeds from his mouth. Sabbath rests. It says, hey, I don't live just to work and make money. When we take a Sabbath day, it gives us a chance to step back and to evaluate. Now, as you, th as you think about these things, they help us think about how we relate to those items. So I promise you, fast for one day and see how much comfort you find in food especially from the pandemic, right? The COVID-15, anybody right here? No? Me? It's cool. Think about Sabbath, right? Try to turn your, try to, try to rest for a full day, 24 hours. Turn off your phone for 24 hours. Shock. See how much you need to be needed by your work. 
Again, I know that's none of you guys. That's me, right? So, but if you think about, if you think about these, these spiritual disciplines, these practices, right, they give us a chance to step back and evaluate the earthly thing that we're looking at. Giving does the same thing. If you think about giving in terms of a spiritual discipline, in many ways, when we, are, when we step into giving, it forces us to look at the money that we're giving away and look at how we relate to it. When we have to let go of our money in a very literal way, it makes us ask the question, how hard was I really holding on to that? Or even a harder question, it makes us ask, like the other disciplines, am I really greedy? Now, the reason I I think the call to give is universal is because I think the sin of greed is universal. We see that in scriptures. If you look at Ecclesiastes 5.10 or write it down, check it out later. Here's what um, the, the author of Ecclesiastes says. The one who loves silver is never satisfied with silver. And whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with income. But it's not just a rich problem, right? Rich people aren't the only greedy ones. Look at what it says in Proverbs about the reality that the poor struggle with greed. He says, give me neither poverty poverty nor wealth. Don't help me be rich or poor. Feed me with the food I need. Help me be in the middle. Says in verse 9, otherwise I, I might have too much and deny you saying, who is the Lord? Or, and here's where we see the poor struggling with greedy, greed, says, or I might have nothing and steal, profaning the name of God. The, the call to give of our financial resources is, is universal because greed is universal. When, when we give, we're, we're fighting against the, the greediness that has seeds within our hearts waiting to be sprouted. So when we give, it's actually for our good. It's for our flourishing. Look, one of the things that um, God has really challenged me on this week, uh, reading this passage, and it's something Pastor James and I have talked about for a while now, but um, was really uh, pushed down even harder on me, is that we as pastors need to do a better job talking about money and having open conversations about money. I know some of y'all are like, oh, dang. Pastor James and I don't drive great cars, though, okay? So when you see me get my Tesla, then you can get in my face. But Pastor James' car is, fr- is, is out here in the white one, right, with no, uh, what you call those? Mine's equally as bad in the back, so if y'all want to see the, the 2003 Explorer out back, y'all check it out. The reason I say we need to do a better job about having open conversations is not, not for me. It's not for Pastor James. It, it's for you. If giving is for your flourishing, then why would I not talk about that if I'm after your flourishing? If you remember all the way back in Philippians 1.11, Paul prays that the Philippians would be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Christ Jesus to the glory and praise of God is what he says. And then today in our text in verse 17, we see it a little bit better in the ESV translation. Paul says, 
Not that I seek the gift, but I seek the fruit that increases to your credit. I would argue that part of the fruit of righteousness that Paul is talking about is this same fruit that he's referring to is growing on their account. When they give, the fruit of righteousness is increasing, is what Paul is saying. Here's what uh, Tony Marita and Francis Chan say about this verse. It says, every pastor should feel free to talk about money because every pastor should care about the fruitfulness of God's people. As pastors, we have a responsibility to see that people grow spiritually and invest eternally. We should want to see growth and faithfulness in every area of their lives, including financial stewardship. Maybe you're thinking, of course, two pastors would write a book that only pastors read to tell people to talk about money more. But Paul talks about this, right? The other day I was reading uh, Titus 3, 12 through 14. I feel like I had never read this verse before. You know, sometimes new verses just speak to you in new ways. Here's what Paul says in Titus. He says, do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos with their trip. See that they are given everything they need. Listen to this. Our people must learn to do good by meeting the urgent needs of others. Then they will not be unproductive. So again, there's this fruitfulness language that, that when we as a church, when we don't respond to people's needs, meeting actual physical financial needs, then we're actually being unproductive and we're not growing in good works. That's what Paul says. So as pastors, look, this is, this is for, for me and James, and I, we just want you to hear it. <laughs> Keep us accountable, right? If we're not talking about needs in the church, if we're not encouraging you as the body of believers to meet the urgent needs of others, then you won't learn how to do good. That's what Paul says in Titus 3, 13 and 14. So uh, let's, let's do it. Put it in practice right now. For, for those who are members, uh, you may remember our last member meeting way, way long time ago. We talked about the desire to start a benevolence program. And we did, anticipating that in this season of such financial instability that there would be people right here in our own midst and then even in our neighborhood that have real tangible financial needs. What's awesome is that people responded, praise God. And last week we were able to give a, fi a family $1,200 to help meet some immediate and unexpected needs. Here's, I just want to share with you what, what one of the family members wrote to us, to you, you as the church, right? Us as a body of believers. It says, Dear Sojourn Carlisle, my family and I are very grateful for everyone who contributed to the benevolence program. This money will help accomplish repairs and other priorities that we could not otherwise afford. And then with a big exclamation point, thank you. That's amazing, y'all. That, that's the church being the church. This is what your giving does. Your giving matters. It has impact on brothers and sisters right here in our very midst. So I, I, can, I can join Paul in saying, I am praising God to see your fruit increased. 
What's beautiful, church, is that, that when we respond in giving, it is for our flourishing. It's for us as much as it is for anybody else. But lest you think it's all about you, hold on to your hats, okay? Giving is actually also for the advancement of the kingdom. There's two different places we see this in, in, in Philippians 10 through 23. Uh, in verse 15, right, Paul talks about uh, what they did in, in uh, Thessalonica. He says, you Philippians, I know that in the early days of the gospel, <clears throat> when I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving except you alone. For even in Thessalonica, you sent gifts for my needs several times. So while Paul was there in Thessalonica, the church in Philippi was supporting his work. They were making sure that his needs were met so he was not a burden to the people he was ministering to. The gospel went forth to Thessalonica unhindered. And why did he do that? Well, he didn't want the people in Thessalonica to think all he cared about was money. He wanted the gospel to stand alone and be established in this place. Now check this out. This, again, sometimes those salutations, you know, you just skip over them in your Bible reading, but look at verse 22. It says, all the saints send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. Now there's different theories about like, why would Paul say anything about these people in Caesar's household? I think there's some merit to the idea that Paul was telling the Philippian church, hey, your gospel message that you helped partner with me in is going all the way up to the top. That those who are influential in Caesar's household have actually now experienced the gospel because of you. Just like any other tool, when we steward our finances... And we use it as a, what it is, a tool. It can be leveraged for the advancement of the gospel. That's what we want to do as a church. As we grow, we, we want to send missionaries. We want to plant churches. We want to start new works in our city, in our country, throughout the world. The reality is these works require resources, financial resources, so the gospel can go to these places unhindered. So giving is, is for the advancement of the kingdom. So church, I, I, as we kind of draw to a close, I, I just want to challenge you with this question. Just when you think about giving, what stirs within you? Is it fear? Is it shame? Is it guilt? Are you frustrated at me for bringing it up? <laughs> what stirs within you? If all these negative emotions are overriding you, I, I would challenge you that you probably don't have a giving problem. You probably have more of a gospel problem. Because the grace of God, you, you have it, you've allowed it to go maybe everywhere except your bank account. Again, that, that's not to, to shame you, to make you feel even more guilty. But the reality is that we are free in Christ. God's grace has, has moved in every area of, of our life. And just like other areas, like if we're, if we're scared to talk about this, how on earth can anyone encourage you? 
you just sit in your shame corner and think about how little you give, right? Like that, that's, that's not good for anybody. Look, if, if you're experiencing these, these, like, these feelings, these emotions, fear, shame, guilt, what, what have you, right? As I said, the, the answer is not to go and, and give a bajillion dollars more, okay? <laughs> if you're struggling with it. I mean, I think that's a good application, right? Think about how you're giving. That's a great application. But e- even further than that, Scripture tells us that God loves a cheerful giver, if when you think about money, like joy and cheer are not things that bubble up with, with it inside of you, and I think you need to hear the gospel message. The reality is that Jesus was generous to us. Here's what 2 Corinthians 8, 9 says about Jesus' generosity. It says, you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, he had all the money, Yet for your sakes, he became poor, literally, so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. So do you see there how that connects? We, we've been talking about humility all throughout Philippians, right? In Philippians 2, 5 through 11, Paul talks about how Jesus had every divine right, every divine privilege, and he set those things down. He became rightless and privilegeless for you, for our sake. And Jesus does that with our finances, right? Like very literally, more than just the spiritual, right? The only way we can be generous, cheerful givers is when we ourselves have experienced the generous, cheerful grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Our Savior, Jesus, he, he gave up everything. His rights, his privileges, his riches in heaven. He set all those things aside. He became nothing. He had nothing. Scripture says he didn't even have a place to lay his head, okay? There weren't any Airbnbs in in Nazareth, y'all. Like, he had nowhere to lay his head. He had nothing. But what's beautiful is he took that on for our sake. Our, Our God is a giving God, and our response to this giving God is to be a giving people. When we gather together, uh, we celebrate a meal called communion that reminds us of this very gospel reality that God had everything, set it all aside, and he gave it up for you and for me. So when we, take, when we partake in communion, it's a reminder to us of this gospel reality on the night that Jesus was betrayed, as they were eating, Jesus took bread, blessed it and broke it. He gave it to the disciples, the disciples and said, take and eat, this is my body. Let's take and eat the bread together. Then Jesus, that same meal, he took a cup and after giving thanks, he gave it to them and said, drink from it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So let's take and drink the cup together. Church, Paul tells us that as often as we eat this bread and we drink this wine, we're announcing Christ's death until he returns. Let's pray. I'm James A.P. Fields, Jr., lead pastor at Sojourn Church Carlisle. Thanks for listening. 
We're a church that is rooted in the community of South Louisville, and we are seeking to advance the gospel of Christ in South Louisville and beyond. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support our ministry, visit sojournchurch.com backslash Carlisle, C-A-R-L-I-S-L-E. God bless.